Ladies and gentlemen, we're shoveling. This is the growing season right here on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. I'm Matt, the producer, a.k.a. Matt McFarland. Please be joined by mom and dad, Jack and Lynn, John Francis, James, and Lynn Marie. Guys, how are you? Matthew, I'm doing wonderful. Mom? Yeah, I'm doing wonderful too. Awesome. This show this week is busy. Busy, busy, busy. So we are going to get to getting. We're calling this bedtime. And that's been the show because we're going to sleep. No. Bedtime in that this is about putting your flower beds to bed. And lawn. And your lawn, yes. Basically, anything of your outdoor space, putting it to bed for the winter. We're going to chat about how you do that, what to do. Should you be pulling your perennials out or, sorry, defoliaging them? Should you leave them? What to do with your leaves? As well as we are pleased to be joined by Miss Julia Demakos, juliademakos.com. She is our veggie guru, and she's going to chat about what she does with her 7,000 square foot Yeah, you heard that right. 7,000 square foot veggie garden. How does she put that thing to bed? All that and more. This is the growing season on News Talks on 960 AM. On the other side, bedtime for them plants. This is a a banner episode here for the growing season on News Talks on 960 AM. This is Lynn McFarland. This is mom's first phoner, first interview. Yeah, she was yeah, a bit, bit on yeah. the nervous side, right, Matt? Uh, yeah. yeah, I was. Yeah, I was a little nervous. First of all, who came up with the title "Bedtime"? Who the heck came up with this thing? Your mom, Matt. Mom, this is you. Yeah, you love tuck, it. Tucking your gardens into beds for the winter. I love it. I yeah. love it. My father, my mother, and I collectively, we've got uh, forty. No, sorry, sixty-five, seventy-plus years of horticultural experience. We have spent so many times on sites this time of the year putting flower gardens to bed, and over the course of us doing that, we've kind of slightly changed how we did things. I remember years ago, it was very much everything was taken back taken back to the studs, basically, right right down to the wood. So there would be no dead hosta leaves. There would be none of this, none of that. Everything was Only sort of mainly in front of their homes, Matthew. Right. But then as we got going deeper and deeper, I feel like we touched less. Dad? Yes? Sure. It depends on what was happening through the summer to, to delegate what was going to be going on in the fall, right? Right. Yeah. So if the, if it was a horrible, dry, hot summer and your lawn took a real beating, for instance, we would always want to make sure that it was as, in as good a shape as possible going into the winter. Right. So what were we doing to it, Matthew, in order to make it going to be able to survive and do well for next spring? Well, firstly, is it's all about caring for it throughout the season. You can't. You can't neglect your flower beds and then decide in the fall, oh, in order to help this thing through the winter, now I'm going to actually care for it. You can't do that. No. It's got to be properly pruned, has to be properly weeded. And these plants, I would I would subscribe to some sort of a, a fertilization. I was talking lawns. Oh, lawns. Okay. So, yeah, but, but it's the same thing when it comes to lawns. You cannot neglect your lawn throughout the on season or throughout the, the, the hot season and then expect it to be able to get it through the, through the winter successfully. Yes. Okay, so what would you use for fertilizer? What would you recommend, Matt? In the fall? Yeah. Would you want to go high, high nitrogen? Always. Always? Always high nitrogen. Okay. So 25, 10, 10 type thing? Perfect. Perfect. Okay. 25, 10, 10. Some would use 25, 8, 8. But the thing is you should have, you should get to it to as soon as possible. I just had mine done today, Matt. And so I was asking to make sure that, you know, I hadn't been doing things wrong in the past because these guys are, are doing pros. this all the time, yeah. right? They're the pros. And he was saying, yes, like I told you, Matt, 25, 10, 10, or something like that. But he was saying also one to one and a half to two pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet would be enough to give it a nice kick so that it would be nice coming, looking really at its best coming next spring. I never do it. Never do it? Why not? I never do it. So you never fertilize? Nope. Ever. So that's why your grass looks so thin all the time? (sighs) Okay. The back grows like crazy. The front could probably use it. But the back grows nuts, 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 really? nuts. So I, I don't, I don't. Now, is that right? Probably not. But, um, and with the fact that my Acer platinoides out front, there is a Latin alert. With the fact that it got gypsy moth going on over the, over the on season, over the growing season, pardon the pun, maybe I should be throwing some fertilizer down on that lawn just to sort of give that tree a bit of a kick of healthiness. So you've convinced me. All right. So I'm going to go. So you said 25, 10, 10? 25, 10, 10. Okay. But anyways, right. Matt, what they also said was that it was a great time to actually thicken up your lawn. So to overseed is, is fantastic in the yeah. fall. I read this and I read this. We had a question on our live show, The Landline, 
on Facebook, Twitter, and on, on um, YouTube. Again, for all the information on that, growingseasoncanada.com, click on TGS Live. And we had a question regarding when to seed and what is the best time. And they said from basically middle of September to middle of October. And it's it's uh, warm days, coolish nights. Now, the only problem with the coolish nights is that the cooler it is at night, the less germination you have overnight. But the big key here is the dew. The seed adores the dew. That's, and fog. And you fog. More fog in You're the right. fall. Right, absolutely. So th- there would be something, there would be, in my mind, if you're talking about fog, that's why you would see scenes from Scotland and Ireland that are super, like the grass is green like crazy because you're dealing with moist conditions, you're dealing with dewy grass, you're also de- dealing with fog. Speaking of, f- of fog, you guys have never been out east, have you? No. Down east? Like out east, like to the like the Maritimes, PEI, no. New Brunswick, Nova Scotia. Okay. We were driving through New Brunswick on tour. I have never seen fog like that in my life. I'm talking Stephen King, the mist level fog, like psychotically (laughs) spooky fog. Crazy. Weird. But you know, Matt, they were saying as as far as the the overseeding goes, they say your lawn could be as much as 49 to 50% thicker come next year just by overseeding bad areas in the fall. Really? Yeah, so it makes quite the difference. But here's a real big one. Thatch. What's your opinion on thatch? All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for that for show bits. Also, thank you to Miss MissJuliaDemackles.com for introducing uh, a guest dropping things into show bits. She drops a couple names. There's a Russian Bartolo Cologne or something, potato or grape or garlic, garlic that she drops in there that we were like, wait a yeah. minute, back the truck up. But thatch is this layer. It's basically root system. Right? Isn't it root system interlocking root systems just below the crown of your blades blades of grass? Right, just no. below. No? no, what is it? It's a material that's left over when you cut your lawn or okay. you trim your lawn and so forth. It's this dead grass, and they say for the most part, Matt. But a half an inch is absolutely fantastic because what does a half inch of thatch do in the wintertime, Lynn? It's an insulator. It insulates the roots and the crown of the grass. Really? Yeah. Yes. Keeps them warm. Okay. But two inches. Not so good. Not so good. And that's, oh, 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 sorry. Half an inch was good. Half an inch is good. But two inch bad. Two inches bad. Okay. And so what they say that it, for the most part, Matt, it's probably because of, say, incorrect cutting practices. Right. You might overwater. You might over fertilize. Even changing the direction of the way you cut your lawn can come into play and in how much thatch is being produced. Wow. And the more thatch that you would produce and it would build up at the base. Eventually, somewhere along the line, you're going to have to get somebody in to dethatch it for you. And that's generally not uh, done this time of the year, but next spring. Yeah, early in the spring. Well, you not early to get, spring, but yeah. Well, you wanted to get through the, through the winter and survive. And the whole thing is you want that crown alive come next spring. Note to, uh, note to our audience members, if you've got an irrigation system on your property, have that irrigation system or have that irrigation company come out and mark where your irrigation lines are before you either get your lawn dethatched or um, aerated. Huh? Good. Puncture holes all in your stinking irrigation lines as well as if you've got fiber optic going on. It wrecks that. It wrecks that. Satellite, the big satellites and the satellite lines. And we had customers that had the satellite line punctured all the way through as well. Great segue here, Matthew. Yes, sir. Okay, you were talking about water and sprinkler lines. Yeah. What should they be doing with those now that we're in the fall and going into the winter? Blow them out. Okay, to blow them out. Yeah. And, and what about outdoor taps and so forth? Okay, outdoor taps. Here is a, here's some, here is some advice that I got from a plumber, a, a plumber friend of mine. All of your taps for the outdoors need to have what they call an express valve on them. Okay, so first of all, you turn the, there should be a water shutoff for every outdoor tap on the interior of the home, not only the one on the exterior. Your your exterior taps should not be live based on the tap, the actual turn tap outside. There should be a shutoff indoors. And the reason why you need that, that shutoff has to be indoors because it's dealing with the interior temperature of your home. Also, right? turn off, the, open the tap fully That's on the it. outside. So you turn off inside 
open the tap fully and every tap on the inside should have an express valve. What it is, is it's this little thing that you unscrew and there's about five or six droplets of water still left in that tap. That water is the water that if there's going to be freeze issues and pipe split issues, it's going to be those whatever, that that one quarter of a cup of water sitting in that tap, that little express valve allows you to get the get that out. Sure. You shouldn't have anything. That tap should be dry. It should be dry on, on the interior. 100%, Matt. Yeah. I got a question here for your mom. So mom, what's your opinion about leaving fallen leaves on your lawn? Don't leave them on your lawn if they're really big. I talked to my brother-in-law that does lawns and he said a leaf that's even the si- size of half Half the size of the palm of your hand is too big. It, it provides um, homes for rodents and that to live in. So get them cut down. Like when you're mowing your lawn and you're mowing the leaves on the lawn, back your mower up over the leaves and it shreds them. See, this is, you're starting to get into some controversial stuff here. Okay. First of all, we're coming out swinging because many people are of the opinion, and we've talked about this, how the lawn is a symbol of colonialism. And racism, okay? And, or sorry, elitism. And there are people that are out there that, that are like, do not remove the leaves f- like uh, from your lawn because they are a, you, you've, you've got caterpillars that have laid eggs on those leaves. There's, there are butterfly eggs on those leaves, as well as there is a school of thought out there that the leaf mulch, if chopped up and left on there, acts as a natural compost, a natural fertilizer for your blades of grass. I don't believe it. I think, Matt, in the end, what's happening, I, I agree with these, the beneficial insects. I let them stay, you know, the, the butterflies and yep. some of the moths and so forth. I think they're great. I think it's like sow bugs and uh, I'm trying to think here off the top of my head, springtail, salamanders, even the spiders. I let them stay because they take care of a lot of the things you don't want in your garden. Yeah. But for the most part, Matt, I think that I would have to say, unless you're composting, I would definitely remove them from your site. But there are those people that would say, yeah, well, the reason why you are saying that is because we are out there doing it professionally and this is a service and to say otherwise would be essentially shooting ourselves in the foot. It's the exact same as there is a group of people out there that say that professional landscapers and horticulturalists should only be planting natives and should not be getting into these, any of these fancy hybrids and fancy varieties because you are choking out the native stuff and it is we are contributing to the reduction of pollinators we are con- we are contributing to the to the increase of invasive species into the landscape okay so leave something in place beside a shed or in a corner or something where you can leave an area, an area that's basically untouched I and get i you. agree i just don't want to have it at, uh, up the front of my house, Matthew. I don't want big piles of leaves I and my you. beds look like hell. Well, and again, you, if you if if you leave it down there, you're going to be dealing with mice. You're going to be dealing with rodents. You're going to be dealing with chinch. You're going to be dealing with grubs. Anyways, let's go right back for one second. You said something about fertilizer, right? Yes. Okay, so raw leaves are in the neighborhood of 5.5 to 6 in the pH scale. You got yep. it? So uh, not until those leaves break down, so anywhere from two weeks to two months before they become actual fertilizer. And in the meantime, you're going to have to adjust the pH to drop the acidity so that the grass will th- thrive better. So in, in other words, I don't believe it at all, Matthew. And yeah. uh, I, people can grumble all they want, but it's our radio program. It's the truth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. GrowingSeasonCanada.com. Click on contact. Argue with us. Mom, you have some information here regarding we've touched on the topic of Versailles all the way through the first year of the growing season. And we've learned that uh, Versailles, uh, it smelt like barf and urine because of many parties that were <laughs> taking place on there. And the patrons would wander out into the garden. Those parties could get pretty crazy. It, craziness, too. right? Yeah. They also had what was it, 35-foot cedar hedges or some or, or yeah. yew hedges or some ridiculous insane well, they are hedges, but I think they were hornbeam, weren't okay, they, Okay, 35-footers are nuts. Sure, it's big. Okay. And so how, it was, do you, how do you cut that thing? Well, you have slave Adams. labor. I know that. 7,000 employees, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. But how would they have put the, the gardens to bed? I, I looked into that today. It was very interesting. I wanted to know what they did with the flowers, and I had a tough time finding it. What I did find out, though, is Versailles is in Zone 9A, which is, I compared to us, is fairly warm. And um, so 
I would think their their garden year ran from May nine A nine A. Yes, I checked. They can grow whatever time. the hell they want. No, no. not quite. Not no, true. they do get snow two weeks a year, Matthew. Two weeks a year, they can get snow. But actually. imagine the arrows in your quiver if you had oh, nine yeah. going. I on. was shocked because it's Paris. Oh, you growing bananas? No, 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 not quite. No. Not quite. No, 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 no way. No, they and uh, well, actually. A big thing back in Versailles' heyday, which was like the late 1700s, was um, citrus trees. That was considered an ultra-luxury item. Okay. So during from May to October, they had all these citrus trees. And actually, some lords and ladies gave King Louis XIV some of the citrus trees from their estates. And so he had all these citrus Here, trees. Here, sir, barf this up. Pardon me? Here, sir, barf this up. (laughs) Anyhow, but what they did with the citrus trees was uh, they were always in wooden boxes. And come October, they bring them in. They bring them in. And put them in the orangery, which was like this. Yeah, massive I, I've seen this. House. It's like a, it's like a, a glassed in. Yeah, no, solarium. Called it I don't, the orangery. I don't think it was glassed in, was it? Yeah, it was glassed in. And it, it was, was like facing, a solarium. It was, it was facing it south. It was facing south. south so facing. it got yeah. sunlight. Yeah, and they would also they also had because of course France has a Mediterranean coast, and uh, they would also bring in their tender Mediterranean plants like oleander right. and, and and they could be doing bougainvillea and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and they would bring them all inside. Now, as far as the grounds, did they maintain the grounds? And I, I had it was a tough slog. I don't know, but in Zone Nine A, I'm sure that the grass would stop growing on the Great Lawn, and they didn't have to get out there with their sheep and their size and that. And they do get snow. I they actually show pictures of Versailles in the snow. It's very pretty. But uh, they figure on 15 days of winter they would wow. have snow. Well, in Zone Five A, we definitely get snow. How do we prepare our flower beds, pops? So Matt, bas- yes. basically, frost kills. Okay, you did yes. a show. You did yes. a show yeah. on that. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of our annuals, if you put annuals in, they they look like hell really quick. And yeah. so anything impatience, that just, man, just it, get wiped and out. And portulaca and yeah. uh, begonias and everything that you could think of all get hit really quick because they're a succulent. But there are you know things like, for instance, the chrysanthemum. Okay, you put it in the fall. They don't really, for the most part, make it. Through the winter, even yeah. with all the the, uh, the extreme measures that we're taking, that we are putting into play, right, Matthew? Yeah. So we we will actually bury them or mulch them or whatever. And I believe the varieties that we're I'm talking about are Mordens. Yeah. And those babies, it's not worth it. It's still not worth it. And so I for would, the seven bucks at a grocery store, they're annuals. Or go to the aster varieties, a lot of the the, yeah, the just, New York asters and so forth, which are much hardier and they do survive the winter. Yeah. I have them outside in my garden here, Matthew. What about your perennials? What about your flowering shrubs? Here's a question that I, that I get a lot from clients. Do you prune your flowering shrubs in the fall? Minimally. And see, for me, my thought process now having a number of them that haven't bloomed in the spring... My thought process would be to not be pruning them in the fall because I think that I'm pruning off flower bud. Possibly. My nine barks did not – my nine bark didn't bloom. I think it had more to do with stress than anything else. That early frost that we had back in May. My hydrangeas bloomed. I guess that was late frost actually. Yeah. But, but Matthew, it's for slow. the most part, you know, if, you know yourself, we can, you can prune the stringers away. And you can also prune any damaged branches and so forth that have developed over the season that you couldn't see once the leaves are on. Yeah. But there's absolutely something that you should never prune in the fall. Roses. Roses, that's right. Right. Leave roses alone. Why, Matt? Well, roses are all are super sensitive as it is, and and would you want to open up any new wounds right now, as well as you're probably pruning off next year's flower buds? Sure. Yeah. And another thing, Matthew, is important is that you don't want to stimulate any new growth. That's right. And once you start pruning, it produces something. Well, something... and we've seen this this fall. For God's sakes, like third week of September, it was freaking cold. We had, I had the heat on. We had frost in September. Yeah. It's COVID, man. But you know what, Matt? The, the plant produces something called phenols, yeah. which in turn, is, is, it heals the wounds that you're making from pruning. But why would you want to take a chance with yeah. those plants 
which are trying to go into winter and shut down. Do it in the spring. Do it in the spring. And any plants, this was Brother Pat, remember this? Any plants that were up close to the house, if we've had a pretty dry fall or whatever, he said to water. So just before you turn all those sprinklers off and everything, soak everything down. But the thing is, this fall, for the most part, has been fairly wet. It's been good. But it never gets wet under the overhang right next to the house. There shouldn't be plants there anyway. I agree. I've even moved mine out this year, Matt, almost two feet from the house. So I put an area of zero maintenance there. Which yeah. is a basically a an edger with gravel, yeah. and then I put my beds in front, and that way the plants are not physically in contact with the bricks themselves, and they, you know the exterior of your brick is actually uh, heating heating up yeah. the plants in the winter time, so Perfect. they don't shut down. Okay, so on the other side, Julia Demacos of JuliaDemacos.com joins us. She is our veggie guru. She's Lynn. He's Jack. I'm Matt. This is the growing season right here on News Talks, like at nine sixty a.m. back. It's the growing season right here on News Talk Talk at 960 AM. Guys, we happened upon Julia DeMacos, I think, through the Ontario Gardeners Facebook group, Dad. Is that is that what it was? Yeah, that's how I found her, yeah. Yeah. And she's a wonderful resource. Julia has become a friend. Absolutely wonderful woman. JuliaDemacos.com is the website. If you have any questions, concerns, or queries regarding veggies, Julia is the person to go to. We call her our Jedi Master of Veggies, and we are so pleased to have her back on the growing season on News Talks Talk at 960 AM. The first question, Julia, coming out of the gate is, how was the season? This was the best gardening year I've ever had. Uh, I don't... It's just... The garden's bigger than ever. It's, you know, almost four times larger than it's ever been. And uh, it's been amazing. It's better than ever. I don't know how I even managed to manage it, but it's it's been amazing. It's been a great year. So you're telling me this. It's more than 7,000 square feet now, Julia? No, no, no. So it's 7,000, right? Uh, it was 2,000. And I managed that fine. But there was always, it seemed like I was trying to catch up and you know, I was rushing through trying to get everything planted and tidied up and all that stuff. But this year it's 7,000 and I had no problem and uh, actually got to really enjoy it. So, and it did well. That's a big <laughs> garden. It is. It is. Yeah. So then, Julia, okay. So I, I mean, I, I guess in a, in a situation like this, when we had conceivably some of the hottest records or hottest temperatures on record, and it seems like every year we're, we are continually having the hottest year on record. In fact, my dad always says, oh, you know, <laughs> this is the year, son. This is, the, this is the hottest I have ever felt it. And then the next year, Julia, guess what he says? He says, this, this is the hottest. So, I mean, at some point you would think that just by simple math, you would eventually get to the ceiling of the hottest, right? There is no more. This is the We're hottest. We'll probably just burn. You're just going to you know, evaporate. We'll just cook. We'll just but, cook. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. So, anyways, Julia, before Matt cuts me off again. Yes. So, how did the heck did you? Was it hard to keep everything watered this year? I was literally just going to oh, ask her about watering. That's amazing. But we got off on the tangent of this is the hottest sun you've never <laughs> seen anything like it is. <laughs> so, Julia, how do you how do you keep it watered when it's the hottest ever? So. You know, I don't have irrigation in the garden. It's too large and I change too many, like I I crop rotate. So, you know, for me, it's been complicated to get it irrigated with drip lines. So I just use a watering wand and, uh, you know, and a hose and that's how I water. And I prefer to do it that way because I get to spend time with the plants and really get to see if there's any issues or any problems and and handle them immediately, which really helps me deal with any issues fast. Uh, But this year I found that I didn't water more. Um, I probably watered less. I find that probably because... Yeah, hold on a second. Whoa. (laughs) What secrets are you not telling? Are you guys... are you full guys, bladder? Yeah, it's a full <laughs> bladder. Oh, okay, so I think it's I think it's really important to have good soil. So 
So I think that when you have really good loamy soil to grow in, uh, I find that the soil, you know, it doesn't evaporate, the, the moisture doesn't evaporate too quickly. It's not heavy with clay. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a very rich, compost rich type of soil. Things grow well. And I find that the because it's a raised bed, there must be water at the bottom. It doesn't actually dry out to the bottom. Uh, and probably the, the nutritional you know level of it just keeps the plants growing. So the rains that we did have, which was, you know, maybe, maybe once every couple of weeks, we had a, pr- a pretty good rain here. I found that it, it was enough to uh, water everything. And then, I mean, if I needed to water something specific, but I didn't really have that need this year I would but it wasn't because you know to water 7,000 square feet by hand will take you all day so literally hours and hours so uh, I did do that a few times but I found that the beds probably because the soil was so good and it wasn't drying up too quickly you know they just were fine so yeah and with raised beds too Julia uh, the fact that there's a bit of a, a, a an edge to them like a lip it contains the water it just doesn't run all over the place it doesn't run the, the you know the soil stays in where it should they're about i think they're i don't recall if they're 14 inches high or if they're 16 inches high right now so there's quite a bit of mass there and i don't dig the bed so this is another key because i don't dig when i'm planting i don't turn the soil over it doesn't dry so it just kind of the top you know a few inches will dry and I find that the occasional watering or the occasional rain will give it what it needs, but the bottom doesn't really dry out. And even on a droughty year, I just found that, you know, because the soil is rich, it's it kind of holds on to the moisture in there. And it makes the plants work harder to, you know, to send the roots down lower into the, into the beds to get that moisture. So then they're actually stronger plants. So, Judy, did you do practice uh, zero-till at all to, to uh, help keep the weeds at bay, or do you just... Uh pick them and pull them as they as they appear yeah so i never till i never dig or double dig i'm very careful i mean even at the end of the season when it's cleanup time i don't rip plants out of the ground because that would disturb the soil too much so i never dig and uh even when i'm digging potatoes i'm carefully you know i know how deep they grow i just i don't turn the soil over so uh that therefore i don't expose weed seeds uh, and then they don't have more weeds come. And then when I do get weeds, I manage the weeds as soon as, as quickly as I can. I try to get them up uh, as soon as I see them. So I do spend some time weeding. Uh, and that's it. And then I also plant pretty intensively. So I, I do plant close together, making a carpet. And so the carpet protects additional weed seeds from blowing in and germinating. So it kind of all, it's a little ecosystem. It works it's a little cycle. Excellent. It, you know, it kind of does its own thing. Okay, yeah. so, so hold on. Now that my dad just completely buried it. So wait, hold on a minute here. here. You're dragging <laughs> garden hoses out to this thing? So, no. So okay. I do have... <laughs> I was like, man, you are <laughs> you are committed. <laughs> so... Six or seven years ago, when we built this first original garden, uh, I had water, you know, uh, they brought water from our well. Okay. We have, um, like, a, I guess a... I don't even know what you call it. One of those hydrant things uh, that people with wells have. We have one here. And so what the the irrigation company did was they did dig that under the ground and bring it out to the garden. Gotcha. And then from there, I would water. I had only one faucet at the time. But when we expanded the garden, they literally put them everywhere in the garden. Every so many feet along the fence line, I have another faucet. So it's easy to attach a hose and water in that spot and move it over. So, Julia, I, I'm going to go back to weeding for a minute. <laughs> we're going to wrestle this back and forth. Julia, by the way, my next question will also be about watering. So we're just going to do this back and forth the whole time, okay? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so going into the fall, do, yeah. you, do you put things like straw down or so forth to help contain the weeds for next season? So I don't because I find that the weeds are not active now. Uh, whatever's, you know, the light levels are dropping and things aren't really growing. So weeds kind of just are easy to remove and then I leave it. So the straw would be to, uh, I would add, I would use that as compost. You know, if I want to cover a bed, if I'm planting garlic, I could, I could put uh, uh, straw on top of the bed. But my, uh, size of garden, it's hard to get good straw that is weed free. And that's, you know, and also not heavily sprayed or anything like that. So I don't get to... I don't source a lot of straw around here, but I do have some and I just save that for, uh, you know, the garlic or what I do is I let it sit for two, three years in the bale and then I take it apart and I add it to the compost bin, which adds great browns. So 
yeah, that's what I do. But in the winter time, sorry, in the fall, I typically don't cover much. I just uh, top with compost or I top with the uh, organic matter that I've cut down, like the plant material that's done. I just cut it and kind of lay it on the soil, depending what it is. And that's what I use. Speaking of garlic, Julia, do you plant the fall garlic? Yes, yes. And that's going to be happening this weekend. Really? Oh, okay, okay, so now now the normal person, Julia, <laughs> <laughs> the, the normal, the normal, like the veggie garden Jedi in training, they would plant like, you know. Not a million. <laughs> I was going to say, but, but the Jedi master of fall garlic, how much garlic are you, is, is the Jedi master planting? I plant 500 cloves. Of course you do. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of planting six in my little garden. Six. Not 600. <laughs> We're planting six. See, so I, I plant enough that I could replant. Right. So right. I, I plant enough to have a third. So you need a third because the my garlic is a Russian rocamboli that I've been growing for years. And, uh, whoa, whoa, you know, whoa. Hold on. A- whoa, 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 whoa. That sounds like some <laughs> vodka. Wait, what? It's a what? <laughs> It's a what? It's a Russian rocamboli. See, this might be, Dad, this is the first time that a guest, a guest has forced me to put something into show bits. Think about this. I got to go get this Russian vodka garlic that she's talking about. I've never actually seen it, Matthew. I don't even know what she's talking about. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Okay. It's a Russian rocamboli. Yeah, rocambole. So R O C A M B O L E. Rocambole. Okay. Rocambole. So a Russian rocambole, it would have a average of three to four cloves per per bulb, and the cloves are large, and uh, the skin it would be a purpley like stripe, white and purple. You know, the exterior would be white, then when you peel off the first layer, would be purple on the inside, and then obviously the clove is not purple, but the the inner skin would be purple, and it makes a really beautiful uh, creamy delicious, gorgeous flavor garlic. I absolutely love. Julia, <laughs> Julia Demacos of juliademacos.com joins us. Guys, seriously, visit the website. First of all, Julia is wonderful. It's a, she's a font of information as well as, as, as we've now learned that she's sourcing uh, contraband garlic from Russia <laughs> and bringing it into Canada. Okay, she's barging it across. Okay. All right. No. While we're... <laughs> Yes, that knock on your door, Julia, is uh, some division of the RCMP. <laughs> it's the horticultural division. I'm sorry, you're doing what? Um, uh, okay, so question about garlic, and you would be the person to, to to ask this. And this is just, I'm not, listen, I don't know what kind of garlic this is. It's not Russian rocam, whatever. Bowl. Yeah, yeah. rocam bowl. Yeah. So I got larger garlic from the grocery store simply because we were buying smaller bulbs of garlic. This larger bulb of garlic is, I'm going to use the word saltier, like it's, it's a saltier taste and it is, it is way snarlier. Like it is is, so snarly. Is this an elephant garlic? I don't know what it is. It's okay. Is it it just huge? Is it like enormous? One clove would be the size of a bulb, like just massive. No, no, it isn't that big, but it's bigger than the typical garlic that I was buying and like... I would slice this on a salad or on pizza and man, Julia, this stuff just snarls at you. I mean, it's gorgeous. I love it, but it's also, it's saltier. It has a salty taste to it. Hmm. What color is it? The, the skin of the uh, garlic. It's like a, it's not yellow. It's like a almondy, like a typical garlic. It's a, you know, it's not like anything. I didn't, I didn't pull the, the outer. Salty. Yeah. Do they grow it in salt water? I don't know. That's it's salty. Weird. Like, honestly, I don't have to put salt on anything because this is That's... salty enough that I'm like, wow, this has got a lot of zip to it. Speaking, wow. of, speaking okay. of zip, Matt. Yeah. Garlic is sure boring. <laughs> hey, no, well, I love garlic. <laughs> oh, uh, that's what we call a segue and a smack in the face. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Moving Listen, on. Yes. Smarty pants. Go. Your lead. Take it. Okay. Do you, uh, because of maybe through the summer and so forth, uh, did you have issues like, say various things like tomatoes or so forth, which we're having problems with, you know, the black spot and so forth on them. I don't know what it's called, but do you actually change plots? Say one vegetable is having problems one year and you will switch plots the following year so that you don't transfer the disease from one area to the other? Yes. So I typically rotate most crops 
tomatoes I like to rotate because, you know, they're a heavy feeding crop. So I like to, and then they can carry disease uh, or they can have disease. So I, I prefer to rotate these crops. And I have over the years, garlic, I, I typically don't rotate. I just feed the soil and then I plant it again and I've never had a problem. Uh, tomatoes, I would. And uh, I didn't really have any problems except for fruit flies this year in my gar- in my tomatoes. Really? Really strange. Yeah, so they would, the black spots that I had were, um, you know, either on the side or sometimes at the top by the stem. And, you know, I didn't know, they were fine, but then you'd bring them in and then they would quickly get a soft black spot kind of on the side or the top. And then I get all these fruit flies. So, and I didn't realize they were actually coming from the tomatoes until I started throwing them in the compost. And the compost was just full of fruit flies. And I've never had an outdoor compost bin, which is open, full of fruit flies, but I have. So I think it's, it's just the weirdest thing. But yeah, I will definitely be rotating those next year to a place that, you know, was growing something like a bean this year, uh, like a, some kind of legume or something just light lettuce, you know, something like that. I'd probably go where but, I put the tomatoes. Well, I noticed uh, I, I followed your rules and instructions that you about tomatoes and I actually didn't physically water them from the top anymore. I watered them from the base because you were mentioning that. And they water. all died, yep. right? No, they're all living just <laughs> fine. Actually, the frost is... <laughs> They all died. <laughs> no, the frost has actually been kind of giving and doing a number on them. But all in all, uh, Julie, I tried that and I didn't get the splitting tomatoes anymore. Excellent. Yeah, yeah we wow. only had about six plants, but because we don't <laughs> Julia have. Julia had 600. So I know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're just starting. I'm hoping that one of these years, the men in my family will help me make a couple raised beds for oh, our place. So easy, gentlemen. Okay. Well, I can First of all, too. hold on a second. <laughs> but I can't have Wait a minute. No, we're feet. not shaming because we're not shaming me. How there was a thousand square foot patio and walkway. Yes, yes, that, yes. We put, that you know went in this year. We we put a lot oh, of work yeah. into a patio yeah, and so a walkway. So everybody just yeah. because I got no. Julia, I have two pairs of eyes looking at me like I've like I've no, done something no. wrong. And, and you know what? I don't mean next summer because we'll be finishing up the patio area. I mean a couple summers from now. Something to keep me busy in my retirement years. Oh, I'll keep you busy. Oh, I You'll know you will. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll know. I know. I, I I retired from one job to get another. That's right. <laughs> Julia DeMacos yeah, are, joins us. Go ahead. There are nice little, you know, uh, I have a veggie pod, for example. You don't need to build anything. You can just purchase a truck or a pod or something that's already oh, yeah, ready to go. Yeah. 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 Julia DeMacos of juliademacos.com joins us. Okay, Julia, what did you learn this year? <laughs> about your gardens, not about life or, you know, I mean, or whatever, you know, if you, Where if you I want begin? to go for it. <laughs> so the number one thing that I've learned is soil, right? Soil health is so important. It really, if you have healthy soil, you don't have to work as hard. So a uh, healthy soil will also make a healthier plant, which will be able to fight off pests. And I, this year I had every kind of pest I never had in the past. I've had them. This year was the year I couldn't believe. I thought 2020 is insane. And now I have this too, like every pest. But my plants were fine, even though they were attacked by squash vine borers and cucumber beetles. And I even had squash bugs. And then I had potato bugs. I mean, it was nonstop. And I found that the soil, because the soil was so strong, the plants were able to recover. And also because the soil was healthy, I didn't have to water as much. You know, so I think that anyone that's gardening really has to focus on adding compost to their soil, starting with a good soil, and then not just adding it once, but like yearly top-ups, two inches, you know, top layer. Uh, like just put the two inches of compost on top, buy it in a bag if you can't buy it in bulk. And I think that's, for me, that was key. Like potatoes did great. I've never grown sweet potatoes. I had a abundance of sweet potatoes, all because my soil was good, you know, and uh, it will. I will keep, I will keep topping compost to all the beds. Compost will, that's just the number one thing. And I worked on my compost. Julia, do you, when you apply it, do you Mm -hmm. spread the compost up top and then do you slightly cultivate it in so that it's not this layer of compost up top or what do you do? So if I'm purchasing it in a bag, first of all, I don't like cow manure. I find it really heavy. And when you buy it in a bag, it's really wet and heavy and clumpy. And I, I find that it doesn't actually break down nicely. So for me personally, maybe if I was working on on the ground in a farm style operation, it would be different, but I, I don't like it as much. But if I'm purchasing a compost and I really like sea compost, I like 
good horse uh, composted horse manure if you know where you're getting it from if they don't see their horses with sprayed um uh hay because that will you know they they don't actually process the glyphosate it will come through and then if you top it on your beds you'll actually kill everything so if you know where you're getting it from but see compost horse or garden compost that's sold in bags or my own garden compost so what i do is then i just like spread it on the soil and i use a rake like the back of a rake and i just kind of even it out two gotcha. inches and I don't I don't do anything and I let the worms do the job for me but after I spread it I leave it I mean I give it a few days just to settle in because you know if you just do it it's kind of wet and clumpy it's a little heavy for seedlings so I just let it sit and just kind of rest and then about a week later I plant into it so Julia do you uh, basically make enough compost for your garden for the season or do you get you, you have to buy a large portion of it I buy it. Yeah, I mostly buy it and I don't make enough. This was the first year. Another great success was um, I was able to make compost and I've had the bins uh, for, you know, from the very beginning, I have three and I, you're supposed to rotate, you know, the first to the second to the third, like in terms of age and harvest for the first. And then, you know, like, anyway, I, I, my, my method is really simple. So all I do is layer this year. I focused on layering greens and browns. I started last year, you know, so a layer of green, which would be like green plant matter um, or, uh, you know, vegetable peelings and scra- scraps and things like that. And then with browns, which would be straw or, you know, shredded leaves and dry grass, etc. like just paper. And that actually produced compost. And it was amazing. It was first year that I've like, you know, been able to actually take buckets of it and uh, put on the beds and it was it it looked like black soil it was just beautiful julia you need some uh you need some you need some like horses you need some sheep (laughs) right you need things that make poop oh i don't need any more work okay (laughs) i'm just saying they would they would supply poop right i have chickens actually so the chickens um i put their poop in my compost bin and that will break down in there but that's yeah (laughs) i'm just saying like you know santa's great at bringing livestock, <laughs> <laughs> right? And a sheep looks great under the tree. Hard to stop oh, a love, sheep actually, in the stocking. It's true. I would love some sheep. I'm thinking about that for the future. I wouldn't <laughs> mind making some cheese, actually. It would be nice to make some cheese. Yeah, because you're not doing enough already. Let's get <laughs> hey, into got, making some cheese. <laughs> we got some bees this year. We have bees now, too. You got like bees? Like you have a I, We have five hives. Oh, get out of here, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so are you are you like producing honey as well? Yes. <laughs> oh, what? But I well, I have I'm mentoring under a beekeeper, so the beekeeper and I are kind of working together, okay. and um, yeah, I got over a hundred pounds this year. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Holy jeez! All right. Um, <laughs> and the petting go zoo continues. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, did you have to purchase? Did you have to purchase the like? Did you have to purchase the queen? And like, you, you have to by this creature right so he has established hives and so he's from the city and it just worked out really well to bring a bunch of hives here and you know because i have so many flowers and i have a field here that's full of flowers and uh it was just a great place to put them and they've been really happy here and uh pollinating everything and making lots of great honey so everything came already so then hold on a second here would you say that there is a correlation between your best season yet and, and the, the fact that there are five hives now on site. I never thought of that. <laughs> because and, and because for me, that would be my number one thing. And I'm hoping and praying to the good Lord above that you say yes, so that we can make this all about, well, Julia said this was the case because there needs to be more of this type of thing happening. Like for instance, I live, I, you know, I live, fairly close to uh, a number of major ravine areas, it would take nothing for those homes to have hives in their backyards mm-hmm. that would be able to be out there eating and doing whatever they're doing because there's tons of wildflowers and everything going on in these ravines. This needs to be happening more. Mm-hmm. I, it is. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I kind of, I did some reading on that because I thought that would be really interesting. And I thought maybe we could have a, hive in our backyard even though jack's afraid of bees but i'm not afraid of them i'm allergic yes, you are. To yeah. them. no you yeah. kind of hop up and down you're yeah but you're, you're i think in the, in town i think there's restrictions i can't recall what they are but i know we 
we didn't qualify. You had to have them so many feet away from the neighbor's property line and this, that, and okay. the other thing, which is such a shame because it would well, be a Julia really cool doesn't thing. have property no, lines. She, she's no, she's fine. She's <laughs> they don't fine. have such yeah. things. No, she no. has but, zones. <laughs> you know, I find that they are, they don't bother you at all. I'm able to, you know, work right beside them. I've always had pollinators here in the past. I've had a lot of, I, I still have a lot of bumblebees and other native bees that are present. So I've, I've always had a lot of pollinators. Uh, this year, I mean, obviously I have a lot of honeybees and there's thousands and thousands of them. So I did see them everywhere. And But the thing is, they're really calm and they're really busy and they're not interested in you. The only time that they, you know, get angry is when you open their hive. So that's the, you know, and when you're wearing your white suit, they, you know, they, 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 they're very smart. They see you in a white suit and, you know, you, they, they want to kill you basically. You're <laughs> oh, that's, bothering them. that's fantastic. <laughs> but when they're, when they're just working and minding, you're minding your own business, you're not wearing a white suit, like a, a bee suit and you're just there in the garden. They don't, I can put my arm right between them, reach for something. They have no business. They're not interested in me at all because, you know, if they, if they bite, sting me, they'll die. So they don't really bother you at all so it's really lovely that way and uh you know the great thing is that it's like a full cycle because i grow everything from seed and i grow organically and then i have these bees who then pollinate my crops who then produce amazing honey that is comes from me from my hard work and then i get to get honey from it and i get to make keep them healthy because they're eating healthy and nothing sprayed and i just i think i think the cycle is really beautiful how it works so does your beekeeper, the one that you got the hives off of, does he take the bees mm-hmm. back for the winter and take care of them to keep them alive so that they're not no, going to so be? They oh. get insulated. So, you know, Italian, apparently I've learned that Italian bees are not hardy. So if you're, I guess if you're, you know, in zone seven, probably they'll be okay. But here in zone five, they be, uh, Italian bees will probably have a harder time. Probably Toronto, they'd be fine. So I, I'm not sure what the other species is, but they're European bees. They're just not Italian. Uh, and so what you do is you, we, he's already fed them. So he does a lot of that and I just help him uh, right now. Cause it's my first year, but he's already fed them all their cycles of, they need to have sugar water. And he's also treated, um, the hives with oxalic acid. Cause you know, they can get mites. Yep. And then when all this is done, our next step would be once the nights get down to minus five, then we'll wrap them up and close them for the, for the winter. And then we don't open them again and they should be fine. And so Fingers crossed. you leave them wherever they Lie where like, they are. Okay, yeah. so that hive is not. There's no like hive storage facility <laughs> place. Hive storage, no. like Jurassic Park for the bees type thing. No. Yeah. No. 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 Okay. They just stay where they are, and that's it. Yeah. Julia Demacos of JuliaDemacos.com, and we're getting close to wrapping up here. So, quick question, and we got to make it brief here. You get to pick one seed. You are flying over the Andes Mountains. Plane malfunctions, smashing you, but but you live. <laughs> Okay, into a mountainous region, you get to bring one one seed with you that will ensure your survival via eating or whatever. What do you bring with you and go? <laughs> you get one, one, one. <laughs> it would be a tomato. Oh, really? Yep. And it would be, believe it or not, a lot of people disagree with me. Brad's atomic grape. I'm sorry. It's, is that a Russian brocolamore? What, what did no, you just so say? Brad's ato- so Brad's Atomic Grape is, so I, I grew many, many varieties this year and I grew Brad's Atomic Grape for the first time. And it's the shape of a, it's like a plum, I guess you would call it, a plum type tomato. You know, it's oval shaped and kind of pointy. Like a Roma. And it's not even, no, because it's, it's, it's like smaller than that and it's not a paste tomato. It's really juicy. But people that I've spoken to on social media, they didn't know it's because it, it grows as a purple tomato initially. You don't know when it's ready. So, you you know, you have to pick it at the right time. So if you pick it at the wrong time, it's horrible. But if you pick it when it's ripe, it tastes it tastes like a plum. To me, it tastes like a plum. So this is like the blowfish, right? If you cut the blowfish wrong, you're dead. No, no. <laughs> no honestly, it, it, the, it, it is amazing. So it's it's purple, but then a side that's not exposed to the sun will get little red stripes. It's amazing. And it, so in the skin is like a plum. It's juicy. It's sweet. And so it would satisfy my tomato and my fruit needs. And it is just like a plum to me when it's ripe. And it's absolutely stunning. It's, it's 
that's my favorite tomato of all my tomatoes. That would, I would take that seed. Julia, as usual, we could give you three hours on the radio and we still wouldn't have enough time. If people want to find you online, where, where can they do that? So my website, juliademacos.com. And I guess you'll have that up so they can see the spelling, right? Absolutely. Yep. And then you can also find me on Facebook, uh, Julia DeMacos Gardening Girl. And I'm also on Instagram at, at Julia DeMacos. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, honestly, hang out there. Julia's wonderful. You've, you've heard her for 30 minutes and 18 seconds and counting. And my dad's kind of doing the pee pee dance in his, in his seat. Like he's sort of not. squirming because he probably wants to ask us something else. We, we are going to have Julia on the landline, uh, live. our, our live show, uh, Wednesday nights, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. You can find all the information growing seasoncanada.com. Julia, once again, thank you so much for, for, for accepting us. For, thank you. For like tethering well, your thank wagon you, to Julia. this circus. <laughs> thank you. It's thank you very much, Julia. That was highly informative. Oh, thank you. This is so much fun. I love it. I would love to come back again. Not a problem. That would be great. Teach me a course. It's better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. This is a case where we didn't get to 2%. 2% of the information. And no, and we had a lot of pointers okay. on, on what to do in the fall and so, so forth. So I'm going to call an audible at the line here. We're going to do a part two to this, whether it's called bedtime part two or whatever it is. But there's so much information regarding what you can be doing and in some ways should be doing in, for your fall prep for your gardens and your lawn that we need to do a second show. Yes, sure. I agree. Right, Mom? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Cool. GrowingSeasonCanada.com for all of your horticultural needs. Looking for a landscape consult, design, even an install. GrowingSeasonCanada.com. Click on TGS Tiny Gardens. As well as you can just hit contact. The email comes in directly to me. Mom, Dad, how was that with uh, with Julia DeMackles, huh? Very interesting. Very interesting. You know what, Matt? I, I never realized she's as long-winded as I am. Holy. <laughs> yeah. Mom, your first interview. Quickly, what'd you think? I was nervous at first. Uh there's a certain etiquette involved. Yep. But then I got into it, and then I got more comfortable. Remember, I'm the newbie on the team here. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Okay. Joke. Ready, go. Farmer had great tomatoes. Red and perfect. His female neighbor was jealous and asked him how he got such perfect tomatoes. To which the farmer replies, Well, I expose myself to my tomatoes daily, and the tomatoes are so embarrassed that they go bright red. Female neighbor thinks, hmm, he's nuts, but she tries it anyways on her veggie garden. Curious farmer says, how's it going? She says, well, her tomatoes are about the same, but you wouldn't believe my cucumbers. (laughs) Man, that's getting close to not being able to air. Love it, though. Awesome. Till next time, have a good one, and be safe. Jack out. If you miss any part of our show today or any of our earlier broadcasts, don't panic. Just log on to our website at www.saga960am.ca backslash podcasts and look for and stream our podcasts of this show and any of our other great programs.